just not just music and not just technology and that kind of thing that, that you do carry, but there is a grace and anointing on you that's very special to penetrate hearts of people that have hardened themselves and would maybe even harden themselves to the Word of God, but you're like fresh water upon dry ground that just breaks that thing open and gets them ready. Also, Genesis says that and speaks of Judah, Judah shall plow. There is an anointing in your life to plow hard ground so that they'll be receptive for the seed that's going to be sown. And so the Holy Spirit is saying, this is a good time for you, but allow there to be an encounter. You know, there's a, I have 30 years of experience, but I can tell you my experience is not as near as important as having an encounter. Having an encounter with God is much more, is better than experience, much more needed than that. Because sometimes we have bad experience, just because we have experience doesn't mean it's worth anything. It just means it's not worth anything. But when you have an encounter, and God is going to use you, Orlando, to release an encounter of the presence of God in such a, a, a sobering way that people that need to hear the gospel can hear it, and those who need to get close with the Lord is going to be able to have that. So uh, he's deposited that inside of you, and guard that anointing, guard it, protect it. As if, as if it's the most valuable possession that you have. And so by doing that, I mean, I guard it from, from the influences, the out influences and all of those kind of things. Guard it with the precious oil of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. All right. I just want to jump in this morning. I'm going to share with you this morning one of the most important things that, uh, that I've encountered in this, this last year. In fact, uh, I wasn't planning on writing a book on this subject at all. And the publisher called me and said, hey, what are you writing on? And I said, well, I'm teaching on this thing. And he says, we want the book. And I said, I haven't even planned on writing one. And they said, sent me a contract. He said, well, here, write it and we'll take it. And I said, well, you don't know what it's going to say. No, it sounds like it's what we want to hear because it's such a need. And so I thought about it. I could send them in a nursery rhyme and see what they thought about that. But, but uh, they'd kick it back. But anyway, I want to share with you about the power of our thoughts and how, the, how powerful it is and how to control our thoughts. And I can't get into all of the how to control that. But I'm not going to be talking about uh, perverted thoughts, pornographic thoughts. I mean, that's a whole other level, another time. But there are thoughts that you and I deal with on a regular basis, and it's the thoughts that we have about ourselves. Proverbs says, as one thinks in their heart, so they are. They, that means a present tense. The way that you think about yourself really has an effect on how far you go in the things of God or how far you go in your life and business on the marketplace, wherever you are. So understanding and how we think is just so, so critical in all that we do. Number one is the fact is the most, it can, uh, it can cause a person to, to be lessened in who they are and lessened in their potentiality if they're thinking about something that God has not thought about them. And another thought that we have, sometimes people will think that other people are thinking about them when they're really not thinking about them that much. And the more you think that they're thinking what they're not thinking, you think that they might be thinking that, then you're missing the mark because they're really not thinking that. That's why we have tapes available somewhere out here. Don't ever repeat that. But people are not thinking about us nearly as much as we think they're thinking about us, right? So understanding that, how we can think about ourselves really begins to set that. If I think that you would, that you hate me, then I'll probably be presenting a different, different side because as I think that you think that I'm thinking, so I present myself in that way. And we know that the Bible talks about, you know, uh, that we're to take captive our thoughts. But I want to look at this morning, what if there's thoughts, not just talking about the bad thoughts, you gotta take control of that. But what if there's thoughts that God, God is giving you, 
and you're not capturing those. Because if someone can come up and say, I, I really like what you're wearing is, oh, this old thing, you know, and, you know, I just pulled it out of the closet somewhere. And that's really a false sense of humility. And it could be. And so what we're saying is, I need to receive that and accept that because in the, in the body of Christ, we're there to build one another up for Christ's sake and to help one another become the full potential. That's why we need a church home. We need a, a family around us that can begin to look at that. And then the Bible says in, in Corinthians 3 how that if one looks into a mirror and the very image that they see in the mirror, that they are changed, transformed, metamorphosis is the word, transformed into the image that they're seeing. And the devil wants to give you an image that never was God's image and that you can set and focus on something that God didn't say about you because we're changed into that image. Now, the Bible doesn't say you're changed into when you see a good image. It says the image that is before you becomes that what we're transformed into that. We'll see in just a moment that the word image or the word imagination that the Bible says in Genesis that we were created in, that we were created in the image or the imagination of God. And that word is also translated in the thoughts of God. We were created in the thoughts of God. And so if I can understand what God thinks about me and what you think about how God thinks about you, then we're able to come up to the full potential that he's called us to live in and walk in and be. There's an interesting book that, uh, that I really enjoyed. Uh, is written by Caroline Leaf. Anybody ever heard of Caroline Leaf? Wow, I can just say it however I want to. Then you wouldn't know whether it's true or not. <laughs> Caroline Leaf is a neuroscientist from, from South Africa. She just recently moved to Dallas. She's written a book called Who Switched Off Your Brain? Anybody heard of that book? And the book really talks about how thoughts become toxic in our mind, our brain, and how that she is saying that research has proven that 95% of all illnesses started with thought-related issues. Isn't that huge? I mean, I didn't write it, so don't stone me yet. So I don't know how true that is, but that's what they're saying with that. We know that hypertension, we know that, that ulcers, you know, worrying about it and your thoughts can create those kind of problems there. But if, if thoughts are what is killing me, then I need a change of the way I think. And if I'm having difficulty understanding how to change the way I think, then I need God's help because I was created in his thoughts and his thought pattern. And prophetically, it's really simply as having the thoughts of God. And so I, if you meditate on, on, on something negative all the time, then you become very negative in your outspeak. You can tell where some people are simply by hearing them talk after a while, because out of the abundance of the heart, I mean, they've been getting these thoughts, out of the abundance of the heart, it eventually will come out from that. But Caroline Leaf says that if you look like little trees in, in both spheres of your brain, and, and uh, it's called neuroplasticity, which means God has created the brain to be so flexible that it can actually be healed. And that every time there's a thoughts, there's this neuron uh, syntaps that they create and they light up and they create these thoughts and they stay there long enough where it becomes part of the memory. And, and he's, they've, they've scanned it. It's even true. You can even see the scans where people that are very negative and they're, they've been raised around negativity and, and to be put down and cursing one another. I was here last time talking about blessing. It fits into this. And how constantly it creates these, and you can see them on a scan. They look like dark little uh, little weeds or trees that have branches, but they're very dark. And they have found that when a person changes their ways, and these this negativity begins to be washed away, and she came, takes about 21 days for that to happen, and that eventually then their brain lights up, and it's just like a, a Christmas tree, light lit up, just flashing with the lights, and meaning this is thoughts of healed. 
they have also discovered that the very that the 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 chromosome that is in our bodies I never knew this till I was reading this was it placed in our body that was put there to turn on when there's disease that was there to to snap out and to go after and to kill disease and if that chromosome is is suppressed and and will not is in other words it's turned off and that's the name of the book who turned off your brain is turned off then the very mechanism that God gave us to fight disease is not present there. And what turns that, that, that part of, that, of our body off, that chromosome, is by hateful, hurtful, negative thinking, even if it's about ourselves and not necessarily someone else in that. The Bible has a lot to say about the whole issue of thought. So let's just jump into that in Psalms 139. And uh, this is a verse of Scripture if you've been around pro-life moments, you will have heard this, this scripture a lot, speaking about the unborn and, and how God created us to be and so on like that. But I want us to see something in a different way than perhaps you've extracted out. I was, I was driving on the road one day, and uh, the Holy Spirit s- started speaking to me about this, and he said, I want you to see this in a different way. There's many places in scripture where you can read them and have, it doesn't change how the how it's supposed to be a, uh, the meaning is, but the application sometimes has has many ways of doing that. So let's pick it up in verse fourteen, Psalms one thirty nine, verse fourteen. This is God speaking concerning us, and He says, "I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made." How I many have heard that verse of Scripture? Well, the interesting thing is what I was hearing Him saying. He said, "I have created you to be feared," which really kind of hit me. And I said, I don't want anyone to be afraid of me, God. I don't want my children. I don't want friends. I don't want anyone to be afraid of me except the devil. And he said, that's what I created you for. I've created you fearfully to be feared is the original. And it means literally that the, that the devil fears you. He puts something inside of us that the devil fears. And I can explain it this way. That if you look in Psalms 1, uh, excuse me, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, when it describes Lucifer who was cast out of heaven and this, this creative being that God created, and uh, he was called a, an angel, but he was a cherub. Anytime you see an angel or a cherub there, it's always related to the presence of God or the throne room of God. Even the cherubs that were there to guard the entrance into, the tr- to, into Eden, the tree of life, and uh, the cherubs were there, meaning it was the presence of God. And Lucifer was called the star of the morning. Jesus is called the bright and morning star. Lucifer's body was built in with all kinds of pipes and sounds and stringed instruments. He was a one-man band. He was there for sight and sound. He was there to oversee the worship in the throne room of God. Pride enters his heart. You know the story there. He was cast down in the earth. And when Lucifer was cast down, the Bible said he was cast down to a planet of darkness. And he was now known as the prince of darkness. But he lost the place of glory and he was cast down to a place that was without any form of godliness, any form of God's handprint at all. And but Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in us, the anointed one in us, is the hope or the expectation of glory. Now hear me. When the devil sees you, a born-again believer, he sees something that he lost in the throne room of God, and he knows how powerful it is, and he lost it there, and so when he sees you, he wants to convince you that you have nothing in in yourself that has any power, any strength to resist him, because he sees in you a container, a carrier of the glory of God, what he lost that he'll never get back, and he knows how powerful it is. You have been made to be feared because of receiving and walking in the full glory of God. 
When the devil sees you, he wants to convince us that we have no value, we have no worth. God is upset with you. You haven't done this enough. You haven't done that enough. You don't pray enough. You don't, you know, do anything enough because he's always wanting to say, therefore, God's displeased with you and I have power over you. In the very creation, when God was creating Adam and Eve and, and uh, after the fall, he, he said, I'll put between you an enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And the word enmity is literally a hatred. I am putting this hatred between you and this serpent, the seed of the devil, and this spirit that's going to hate you. But I've put this enmity in you to where you have the overriding authority to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But we have to think like God thinks and know that inside of us is not just a bag of bones, but greater is he, the anointed one that rose from the dead and cast the devil out of heaven then. And he says, I've placed myself inside of you so that you cast him out wherever you are. So, so you're living in that dimension, just like the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament and the glory of God. He confined himself there in the box and the mercy seat was there and, and the pot of manna was revelation there and the rod of Aaron that budded and, and those things were there. The word of the, the law was there. He said inside of you is now containing the authority, containing the, the word of God. Everything inside of you with the authority is to be able to deal with whatever you face. But if I think in my mind that I can't do it, or I've already made up my mind it's too tough, we tend to back off. Some of the weakest people I know are Christians. They say, oh, you know, I just don't want to do that. I want to find somebody else to pray for me. But God wants to put inside of us such an authority. And every time, whatever you overcome, you gain authority over what you've overcome. The way that you, they over, we give an authority and see in Revelation, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. In kings, in the days of old, when the kings, when they would conquer, they would ride through a city, they would cut off the head of the king, take his crown and put on their head, and they'd ride through the city and say, there's a, there's a new authority in town now. I am now the new authority. Whatever you conquer, you gain authority over that issue, over that, uh, that spiritual dark area, and now you have authority and you walk in that authority. But the devil wants us to think that you don't have any authority, you have no weakness, look at all your failures, look at all that, and you can just say, well, Jesus overcame, so therefore I'm operating in his authority as an ambassador of heaven, not anything what I've done. Understanding that means the fact it gives, it helps me by my own experience, it helps me deal with some, some issues that I face because I'm not looking at, you know, I don't have the experience of that. I haven't ever done that. I, I'm too weak for that. But when I see the picture of who Christ is inside of me, it gives me that right and even the responsibility and the expectation from my God is that I need to confront evil with him. I need to be able to confront those things instead of running from it. I need to run to it because greater is the anointed one. That is already inside of us. All right, look at the next part of this. It gets better. Hang on. Been fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul, my sukikas, the mind, will, and intellect, it knows it. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. In other words, God is saying, I knew you before you were ever a gleam in your father's eye. I knew you before you ever existed in the, any kind of framework at all. So if God knew us, just as the Bible says that that the Lamb of God was slain from the foundation of the earth, meaning that he had already had done it in spirit before Jesus ever came and gave his life here. God sees the end of something from the beginning. Way before it happens, he's already, he's already made provision for it. Now listen to this next part. He said that 
Your eyes, I, your eyes saw my subject, speaking of God, your eyes saw my subject being unformed. Before I was ever formed in my mother's womb, he had already seen what I would even be before I was even formed. Because God is prophetic. Everything he does is prophetic. From the very beginning, he knows that what we'd be dealing with today, he knows that how we would deal with things, he knows who we are, and he's perfecting that which concerns him and concerns us. He is bringing it to a full level of maturity. He says, your eyes saw my substance there, is the very, my hands, my feet, all of the DNA, if you were. Now listen to this next part. This overwhelms me. I don't know if he'll do this to you, but this overwhelms me every time I see this. And in your book, in your book, God, they all had written, they were all written there. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Now, the Bible speaks of five different books, not about, you know, the books in the Bible, but he speaks about five books that God has in heaven that he writes things about us. Have you ever thought about that? We know that if you're born again, that your name is written where? Lamb's Book of Life. You know, in Malachi, uh, the last chapter in Malachi, it says, for all those that feared him, that he had written that who they were. There was a registry of them. In Psalms 87, for those who are truly worshipers of God, meaning the fact not just those who sing words on a screen, but those who adore him and give worth, and, and the word proskuneo, to bow and to kiss and love him. He said that there is, those are born in Zion, that there is a registry of them there. There's a birth certificate, if you like that word, of, of worshipers. If you're a worshiper of God, you're on that registry. If you fear God, honor him, and know that he is God and he's, he is in all of his greatness and all, there's something written about you. Revelation says there's a book that even records all of the tears, that all the tears are bottled up, the tears that we, we have shed, you know, for the presence of God, for who he is, and in our prayer time and intercession for him. All of those tears are not wasted. They're bottled up, and he says he's got a place in registry for them. You find in Scripture how that God has things registered for us. And then we find right here, God says, I have known you before you were even formed, and in my book there are things written about you. Isn't that amazing that God has written a diary about me and you before we were ever born? We had a baby book before we were ever born. He knew exactly what we would be and what we'd formed. He even chose a family we'd be in. Sometimes we have to overcome a lot in those families. But what we overcome makes us stronger in many ways. And he said there's things written there, the potentiality. I don't want to die and, and miss out of anything that God has written about me in, in that book of heaven, and that substance book, in the book before I was even born. I don't want to miss anything that he has said about me. I want to be able to do it all. I want to have all, fulfill all the potential. When I stand before him, I say, God, I did not miss one thing that you had written there. If God has written things about us and we think we're just floating through life and waiting for circumstance to happen, sometimes that we're a product of our choices that we make and, and God can redeem all of that and, and set us free from all of those things because he's got things written. We could say in one thing, one way, that God has already prophesied things about us before we were ever born. We can find it through Scripture. God had even declared over the earth and declared from the very beginning of time. Job, he said to Job, where were you when I created? Where were you when I formed the oceans? Where were you at the beginning when I separated the oceans? Where were you, Job? Anytime you feel sorry for yourself, just read Job. And God said, you think you got it rough? 
But he's, he said things over our lives so it helps us to understand that God is for us and not against us. And there's things that he has already written for us. And, and it's prophetically. That's, why, that's really what prophecy is. They're just saying what God's already said. If it's true prophecy. I'm not just saying, you know, just prophesying off the, you know, off the wall kind of thing. Crazy stuff. Spooky stuff. Just sound weird. We're talking about hearing what God is saying because if he has said that over you, I've already written in your baby book that you have this grace, this anointing on you and you have this potential and you look at yourself, you know, I'm not even living in that potential. It gives me hope that I can start working towards that and moving in faith towards that and believing God for that. When I was about 18 years old, I was a youth camp and and uh, the, the camp speaker there, and I was on the back row and just, you know, pulling the girl's hair in front of me and, you know, I'm trying to be cool and, and all of that. And everybody was getting prophesied over but me. And I, I became sober with that. I said, God, last night, Friday night, I'm, I, haven't, I haven't heard from God. And the Lord said, you, you, you haven't listened. You're worried about now instead of you need to hear about what I have in store for you. And I just bowed my head and said, God, I'm sorry if I've missed around this whole week and you know, it's trying to be a cool guy and haven't, haven't pressed into what you have. And it hadn't been three seconds. All of a sudden, this lady was preaching and she's young man on the back seat, brown pants and blue in a pink shirt. I mean, you could wear pink in those days. And at least, you know, you took, had to have really security to wear that. But anyway, and she called in and she said, I've given you an un, unusual ability to make money in business. Man, I was just working just barely making it. You know, I was just a kid, 18 years old, just making a little bit of money. And he said, but the day will come when you will lay that down and you will go from the north, south, east, and west. You'll go to the nations and you'll declare what I'm saying on my heart. And you will break through the powers of darkness to help churches be set free. And he said, you'll be a troubleshooter. I looked over at the kid next to me and I said, what's a troubleshooter? And he says, people get shot for causing trouble. <laughs> and I said... Oh, God, forgive me, Lord. I don't want that word. You know, I don't want to deal with that. Oh, Lord, it just really broke me. Until I found out later, somebody had more wisdom than the kid. But it's exactly what's happened because he had written this about me in the very beginning of time. And it came time right at that period. God says, you need to know what I'm going to tell you because you're going to be responsible for what I'm saying to you. And I became very sober that day. I went home and had a friend across the street, saw him every day of the world, went through first grade all the way to 12th grade. I was a senior in high school. I went, his name was Dave. I said, Dave, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve God and I'm going to go into the ministry. And he said, really? I said, yeah. He said, okay, man, cool. See you around. I never saw him another day in my life from that day on. And he lived across the street. Once we understand that God says things about our lives that mean the fact is now I'm accountable and responsible and I want to flow in what he's saying, that I want to guard my life and get in my life in such a way, walk with him in such a way that nothing or no one can interrupt what God has said. Because prophecy is not a mandate of fulfillment. Prophecy is not a thing, well, God said it, and so, you know, it's, it's a done deal. It's a get-out-of-jail-free card. No, it's, it's an opportunity to come alongside and to cooperate with what he said. Because I do have a choice whether I want to see that fulfilled or not. Just because you receive a prophecy doesn't mean it'll be fulfilled. It means you grab a hold of it and say, God said this, therefore I'm going to confront every enemy that would try to resist what God has said. I'm going to push it back, and I'm going to step out on everything he said for me. And there's times that it didn't always look like it was going that way. But I'd always go back to that word, God, you said. God, you said. And because you said it, then I'm going to believe it. All right, here's the list, verse 17. How precious also are your thoughts. The word thoughts there, teslam, is also the same word as the word imagination. 
God's imagination is not random picture floating around in our head, you know, lollipops and butterfly kind of thing. They're literally his thoughts when he thinks it, it is the same as projecting it or as the same as prophesying. How precious are your thoughts to me? Not just your thoughts about world and creation. God, you have thoughts to me. Pastor, I know has been sharing here how Jeremiah 29, 11 says that I have thoughts for you, not of calamity, but of welfare. I have thoughts for you. You're on my mind. If you went into Psalms 40, also it says, how numerous are the thoughts of the Lord to me. How that, that they were like the sand of the sea. They're more numerous than can be counted. Psalm 16, it says, while we're asleep at night, his spirit counsels with our spirit. Makes you want to go home and go to bed, right? In other words, I need to hear what God is saying. So, our Lord, And I do, I ask the Lord, while I'm asleep, that you would form in my spirit something that I don't even know about. Prepare me to be able to hear what you're going to say. How precious are your thoughts, O God, how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Now, if you would go over into, interesting to go over into Psalms 91, that we've all read that. He said, he that abides, Lord means to pit the word abide there, uh, especially in the Greek, means to pitch your tent. And John finally said, my word abides in you and you abide in me, means to pitch the tent actually, put down roots. It doesn't mean to visit there occasionally. It means if you abide in me, you have placed in your heart, I'm committed in my heart that I'm going after God with full heart. So if you abide under the, what? Shadow of the Almighty. It's interesting to note that the word shadow is not this thing to where, you know, you loom over and you cast a shadow. And I always had this picture that God was up there and he was overshadowing and, you know, there. But the word shadow comes that same word, teslem, which means to vibrate or to cast thought. So the, the original could read something like this. He that abides under the thoughts of God. And then you go in and says, evil shall not befall him there. And if they, you know, uh, the, that sudden terror at night will not find you there because my, I'm covered with the thoughts of the Lord. I'm walking under his feathers. And it's this picture of covering like the eagle would cover. But it's really the thoughts of the Lord. To be able, when you come into a, a conflict, you have something that's, that's pressing against you and you feel like your life is worth less than it was before, just stop and say, God, what are your thoughts towards me? What are you thinking about me? I know that your word says that you love me and I can't comprehend that in my human instinct. So what is it, God, that you have to say? I mean, what is your thoughts for me? And you just take time because the idea of meditation, how many ever worried about something in your life? You, you know, I think we all have ever worried. Well, that means you already know how to meditate. You'll catch that in a moment. <laughs> to meditate means to contemplate, set upon, think about, ruminate, think it over and over and over again, you know, what God is saying. And then you write those things down and just spend time. What does God think about you? Because once you know what he thinks about you and the devil comes in and say, you're never going to amount to anything. You're never, you're not going to accomplish what, what, uh, uh, what you'd like to do. And then immediately the Bible says when the enemy, and I grew up reading this verse like this, when the enemy comes in like a flood, remember that verse? When the enemy comes like a flood, the Lord will raise the standard. Well, the original reads it like this. When the enemy comes in, comma, like a flood, God will raise the standard. The Bible said it is Yah or God who rides on the flood, not the devil. 
The devil wants to flood your mind and flood your heart with, with thoughts of how great he is and his goodness to you. We were singing this morning about the goodness of the Lord. I would have failed to, I'd fainted had I failed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We have to encourage ourselves in the things of God. First Samuel 30, David had been having some really, some great, oh, uh, some great experiences, uh, kicking out the Philistines and winning wars there. And he was at a place in Ziklag. And, and when he was in Ziklag, uh, the enemy came in from, the Assyrians came in, uh, and took all of his family and all the warriors and all their, his men. They lost everything. And the same men who had just previously been with him, that touted David as, as their leader and commander, David is now hearing from them and saying, let's kill him. Look what he's done to us. Because when there's deep emotions, we tend to turn against people that are close to us. And we tend to want to blame, find, find a way to blame somebody. I can, I can tell you that blame on many levels is one way that the devil finds a way of saying, I want you to see things my way. Who did it? It doesn't matter who did it. Let's find a way to cure it and have a solution for it. You can get stuck 20 years trying to figure out who did it. Who moved my cheese? How did this thing happen? So with that sense that when the, when the Lord, when the Father God comes in with thoughts, he just overwhelms us with that. David, when he'd heard this, the Bible says that he got alone by himself and he inquired of the Lord. It doesn't mean he was just asking questions, the word query, that we get the word query, ask questions from. But it's actually the word mean he, and he put on the linen ephod, took off his warrior, took off his, all of his festive, you know, macho man stuff. And he put on this simple little woven gown made out of linen. And he goes before the Lord and he starts worshiping. I've often thought if I had just lost my family, lost everything that I had accomplished, and it seemed like no way out, and now my friends are talking about killing me, what would I be doing? What is my response? Be blaming God? Be blaming all these friends, how fickle they are? You, all, you, just, you were using me, all you wanted me to do is to, to lead you to battle so you could get the spoil, and now look at you. The enemy wants us to take our attention and focus off of who God is and put it on the circumstances. But when David inquired of the Lord in his terms of worshiping, I believe somehow or another that the Lord reminded him, David, when you were small in your own eyes, how big I was. And remember when you were young, how you killed the lion, the bear, you killed Goliath, and I'm the same God then as I am now. So therefore, I'm ready to deal with this. And in his quiet time with the Lord, he hears, pursue and you'll overtake, overtake everything. Get it back. He needed a word from God to keep pulling him out of self-pity and needed a word from God to pull him out of, you know, uh, feeling like he was abandoned and all the things he was saying. And by doing that, he was able to break through because all of the thoughts that were being projected towards him, we're going to kill you. You're not, you failed us. You know, you were good at one time, but you're not good now. And all these thoughts begin to flow through your mind. We were created in the thoughts of God. So therefore, I need to go back to the original and say, God, what are you thinking now? What are you thinking about this now? You know the story how the David was able to conquer, to go, to overtake them all. Some of the men were so weak, they couldn't, they were overtaken by such grief, they couldn't even fight. David took what he had and went out after him and over, he overtook and gained everything. Not only did, got back all the families, didn't lose anything, but he got all the spoil 
that this other nation had taken from other nations and he didn't have to fight for that but just conquer them. God is looking for ways that he can continually increase us in authority and understanding who he is if we begin to understand the thoughts of the Lord. Part of it is, first of all, we need to be cleansed from thoughts of anger, thoughts about ourselves, looking in the mirror and, you know, singing, I don't like who I see there, you old hag. Everything's gone south, sagging. But if we only looked after the natural, we don't look after what, what God has put in the heart. We missed what, what he's saying. You've been fearfully and wonderfully crafted for such a time as this to push back the works of darkness, to see your family set free, to see your state, your nation set free. And to the point that we hear the thoughts of God saying to us, it may look pretty desolate. It looks pretty bad right now. But guess what? Joy is coming in the morning. Can you, the apostles, those, those early guys seeing Jesus crucified, they were so filled with, with disappointment. They were so filled and overcome by all of our hopes and dreams were taken. And they were just walking around in a stupor. But guess what? Sunday was coming. And when Jesus came out of that grave, everything changed. And all of their thoughts began to turn to all that he said about himself is true. And now they're operating in such power. Going to Jerusalem, power of the Holy Spirit came. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter and John were heading to the temple. Saw the same beggar every, every, every time they went up. This time took him by hands and pulled him up out of, the, out of there and said, Silver and gold I have a name, but such as I have give you. What happened? These guys, their thinking began to be changed. They began to think like a God-like person. They began to think like God was on the inside. They began to see themselves as mighty in God and that they could pull down strongholds and that nothing, nothing that would happen to them. There's, it resisted. Now, let me find a place to land this. God has created men and women so differently. And just because your wife doesn't think like, like you think, doesn't mean she's not thinking right. Women have an extra chromosome than we do. That means that they see color. I see brown, Diane sees khaki. I can say, that's green. No, it's teal. Okay. A woman has, every one of us has what's called an APG. It's a shifter that helps us shift from left brain to right brain quickly. A woman has a slightly larger shifter than we do. Diane can she tell me, said, uh, <laughs> says, how was your day? I said, well, it was good. And she, what do you think about that? What do, you, what do I think about my day? No, no, I'm, I've already moved on. I'm on to the next thing. I've shifted. Come on, keep up. And we're on to another thought that I didn't know existed. She just moves from one thing to the other to the other. But her that the frontal lobe of a woman's brain is slightly larger than us men. And you know what part that is? The speech center. <laughs> she uses about 30,000 words a day and men use somewhere around 18 to 20. So some of you guys, after you've come home from work, you've already shot your whole, your whole uh, repertoire of vocabulary and she's just getting started. <laughs> So communication helps in a lot of different ways from that point. 
But he tells us if we would begin to consider and think of the thoughts of the Lord and what God was wanting to do and how he wanted to do that. The Bible tells us in Corinthians 10, 2 Corinthians 10, that the warfare is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And he, then he goes on to say, tearing down fortresses, strongholds. The word stronghold there is the word noema, N-O-M-E-A, which means thoughts. What are the strongholds, the thoughts? The very thing that causes me so much, so much problem is the way that I think. If God can change the way that you and I think, he can change every part of our life. The way you think affects your marriage. It affects your children. I grew up in an environment that I'd say, Dad, I need some pencils to school. And they'd say, we don't have the money. Whatever I said, we don't have the money. But my mother would say, we're going to believe God for that. It created a sense, it could create such a poverty mindset in there that there's never enough. There's nothing enough there. Or you can have the thinking is, if I can, if I can believe it and think on it, then I'm going to trust God to provide for it. And so how we change our thinking br brings us in to that complete, complete change from that point. What's your name? I think you told me. Jason, you stand up, please. When you shook hands with me, I heard the Lord say, thou art my son in whom I'm well pleased. And that you carry the heart of the father and a real fathering anointing upon you. And this father anointing upon you is going to help you see family set free. There is a gift and anointing in you for families that you're going to you recognize what a man needs to do to walk with God and to please God in all these things. And by understanding what a man needs to do and also how to be a husband, because the word husband means is the word translate grower. You're a grower. You make things grow. And there's an interesting ability that you have on business and understanding of business and that you can make anything grow. You can take a dead stick and make it turn green. Because there's something about you. You see a way for that to happen. When someone says no, you think, well, no to you, but it's not no to me. Because I'm going to find a way to do that. And God has given you anointing and graces to know how to break through families' lives and to see them come into fulfillment with that. Amen. What is your name? Alan. I heard the Lord say... You are a child of God, and you need to see yourself as a child of God. As a son, you need to see yourself as a son of God. God has ordered your steps. He has brought you to this place, this church, to feed you, to feed your spirit, your spiritual man. You are born to be reborn. And as a spiritual man, you become a son of the living God. And that's a special place. But you need to see yourself that way. God has created you to know him. He has created you to praise him. He has created you as a son to him. And when you get that picture, that mental picture of who you really are. You are a child of God. You are a son to him. Everything in your life is going to change. Your black and white color is going to become color. You're going to see color in your life. You're going to see happiness in your life. And that change is coming. Amen. Amen.
you are a child Hallelujah. of God. Amen. What's your name? Pat. <laughs> Come on, step out. I didn't mean to sneak up on you like that. I'm causing you to be a cheerleader in the house of the Lord who carries the passion for the presence of God. And by doing so, it is going to be imparting to people that are dead and spiritual. There are people that attend church every week in places that they're dead in trespasses. But God is going to use you to bring life and to resurrect hope in their heart again who have no hope. That there is a gathering grace on you and you're going to gather them out of the traditions of man-made religion, out of traditions that have caused them to be blinded. As Paul says, the God of this world had blinded their eyes in the hope of the gospel. Therefore, I'm going to cause you to be able to see them and to recognize that there's more than what you think. There's a sense of passion, a sense of joy. And that your hope that has seemingly been deferred for a while is now beginning to be unlocked and open. You have at times found the disappointment that you believed for a lot and a little has come. But the season is changing to where I'm going to reinstate for you the ability to see what's going to happen even before it comes. I'm going to anoint your eyes to be able to see farther than you've ever seen before and even recognize if it doesn't happen today, it's tomorrow, the next day, whenever, that you'll be able to see with the eyes of the Spirit. And when the enemy comes in to try to say that uh, you're just, you have false dreams and you have false hopes, then you just tell them you have no hope. I carry hope. And that with that, you're going to see those things that you're believing God for begin to be released in a greater dimension. There are family members that are just really darkened to the things of God, that they just don't see what you see. They don't even know why you're so happy with the things that you are. Everything about them is very, is very resistant to the kingdom of God. I'm going to begin to minister in the night season with them. I'm going to disrupt their sleep with dreams. I'm going to disturb them with thoughts and that they'll come to you and say, I had this dream. What do you think it means? And you'll be able to interpret it through the eyes of God and the love of God. And you're going to see a breakthrough in your family there. Right away. What is your name? Consuela. There is now, therefore now, no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There is no uh, condemnation from Christ. So don't let there be any condemnation with you. You're the hardest on yourself. And the Lord's saying, I have no condemnation for you. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and rejoice God is good. And you're a child, just like I told him. You are a child of God. So do not come down on yourself because that's not the Lord. So you ask the Holy Spirit, show me. Give me thoughts about what the Lord thinks about me. So I can become that. Because what you think is who you become. And he has a good plan for your hope and your future. He has a good plan for you. So look up. Your redemption is coming. Hallelujah. Get some of these guys on the bleacher back here. What's your name? Yes. Gabe. (laughs) 
I'm going to stir up the zeal and the passion of the Lord inside of you like a man who is set on fire to where that you're going to see everything is possible with God. Such incredible amount of faith is going to be downloaded in your spirit that you're going to pray under the unction of the faith, not just pray with wishful thinking or I hoping so, but I'm going to pray, you're going to pray it with a sense that God is going to do this. You're going to see some little bit answers to prayer as like signposts communicating to you you're on the right track and heading the right way. You didn't get here like I brought, you didn't, you didn't come out this way, but I brought you here and the Lord is saying, I brought you here for the school of the spirit to understand how the things of the spirit work and operate in your life. And I'm going to cause this zeal and passion for the presence of God to be so outflowing your life that everyone who comes in contact, you're going to say, I don't know what you're drinking, man, but I want some of that right there. And you're going to see it. Because you're going to gather them up. Your life will not be compartmentalized as like this is what I do on Sunday and this is what I do the rest of the week. It's going to be out of the, out of the flow of this. The deposit that God gives you is going to be all week long, all week long. You're going to be able to see people differently. You're going to see that person needs God. Instead of seeing the same person in the same old way, you're going to see them through the eyes of the Spirit and recognize God wants to pull them out of where they are. And you'll have the words of life and spirit to be able to do that and to be able to accomplish that. Why don't you guys lay hands on him like you really love him? All right, here we go. Father, we believe in the name of Jesus by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We surround this guy that he will not fail, but he'll walk in all that you called him to do. That Gabe will see the goodness of the Lord in everything that he does. Give him favor with God and with man in all of his dealings in every way. I pray, O Lord, that the witness of the Holy Spirit would be in him and through him. And we call him out into deep water. We call him out from just the fringes, out into eating, drinking, sleeping, deep things of God to fulfill the purpose in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What is your name? Jackie. Hope is being stirred within your heart. The past is gone, but there's a big future out in front of you, and the Lord wants you to have all of it. So hope is being stirred in your heart, and a plan in that hope. Hope is bringing forth an energy, a vibrancy that you've, you haven't been having but that hope is going to bring you out of that place down there, up. It's a higher place. And that hope is from the Lord. It's from the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. The Holy Spirit is stirring up hope in your heart. So get ready. Get ready. You're on a ride. <laughs> What's your name? Don. Don? There's a leadership mantle that you carry upon you. To lead men, lead in the things of God, and to lead people. Because there's a great humility that you carry inside of yourself that it's not about you and it's not about what you want to get done for, uh, for yourself, but you carry the heart of the Lord. And he's saying, I take pleasure in you and I encamp around those that fear me. Therefore, the Lord is encamping around you. And I'm raising even that level of, of by the Spirit vision of being able to see farther down the line of what I want to do. 
I don't know what you do here in the church, but I'm telling you that there is a weightiness of God upon you that really has an effect on everybody else. So you're not going to be the dam. You're going to be the open river that flows through. You're not going to be the one who shuts it off. You're going to be the one that opened the valve that way. They say, you know, if you want something to really release and open that, go to this guy because he doesn't know have, have the off button. He has the on button. And he is all about saying, we can do this. We can well do this. Because you don't operate in fear, then the Lord is going to entrust you with greater greater provision. So instead of fearing what I'm going to lose, you're going to see by faith what I'm going to gain out of that. And the Lord is going to find, at the end of the days, you're going to find yourself being stretched somewhat. And it's going to be beyond your pedigree, beyond what you've ever done before. It's not your background, but it's going to be seen in your foreground and that where you're going to see it coming to you. And when that happens, you're going to be a testimony to a lot of people in this church as that God's taking us out in a deeper realm than he ever has before. Amen. What's your name? Shirley. Shirley. Goodness and mercy. (laughs) There you have a strong appetite for the things of the Spirit of God. You have a strong appetite for the Word, even the point of saying... If I can see it in the word, I'll believe it, but I'm just not going to take it at face value. I want to be one who God says to me, this is out of my word. And because you're one who's searching and looking for the word, then God's going to feed you out of the word in a greater way. There's been a, a cry in your heart, God, I want to go deeper in your word than I ever have before. Even the point of saying, I would like to be able to hear it and understand the word like that one and like that one. And the Lord is signing off on that and saying, no longer will you just read a book. No longer will you just read scripture. But you're going to read one who has written you a love letter, who has written you from his heart to let you know. And in doing so, there's a lot of healing that's going to come. There's a healing of your past that the enemy has always tried to beat you up with and saying, if you had done this and it's your fault. And there's there's something about that you take blame really easily. People lay it on you. It's your fault. And you take it and take it on. And I'm hearing by the Spirit of the Lord, he sent me all the way to tell you, no more will you be a fault carrier. No longer will you carry the blame. There's people that put it on you so easily. And the Lord is saying, I'm taking it off today. And that you don't have to carry. Like you walk in a room and if, if somebody is upset, like you say, what did I do? You take it on. To this day, you will no longer be attracted to blame. You will no longer take it on as as a carrier of that. Father, in the name of Jesus, I release Shirley from this day on that she will not be the one who bears the burdens of blame and fault finding, that she will no longer be one who is kicked at, who's the scapegoat, one who wears this thing upon her. I send it from her that no longer it will have a place. We sever all ties to it, all ties in her mind that she even deserves it. You didn't send it, so we don't have to take it. Therefore, release inside of her a healing, Lord, of all of the wounding that is open, gaping wounds that will no longer derail her from being what you called her to be. In the name of Jesus, let healing begin to flow in your spirit. Amen. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.